Next Chapter Podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Next Chapter Podcasts is proud to present the Play On Podcast Series, Macbeth. Art thou but a dagger of the mind? Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Performed by award-winning actors in a production that breathes new life into a timeless tale. Men are weak. New episodes premiere every Friday starting April 9th. Subscribe, rate, and review Play On Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go to playonpodcasts.com to learn more. Put on your headphones and don't forget to wash your hands. Leave all the rest to me. Hi. I'm Jordan Barbour, and I play Banquo in the Next Chapter Podcast's play-on series, Macbeth. One of the biggest treats for me doing this production was getting to work with three of my favorite performers, Manila Luzon, Monet Exchange, and Miss Peppermint, who you may know from their time on RuPaul's Drag Race, where each of them excelled building on their well-established careers in comedy, fashion, and music. And as you're about to hear, there's so much more than the reality TV stars we've come to know. They are artists, and performers in their own right, with a wealth of life experiences and a real sense of purpose in everything they do. I got a chance to sit down with the three of them after we recorded Macbeth, and I'm so excited to share our conversation with you now. Welcome to the Witch's Brew Podcast. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to be having a conversation about your experience with Shakespeare, your experience with theater in general, and how it, you know, ties into your experience in the drag world as well. So the first question I'll ask is, do any of you have experience with Shakespeare prior to having done this Macbeth recording? Um, I can start. I, I went to perform in art school. And so I, even though in the, in the drama programs a lot, they did a lot of Shakespeare shit. I mean, I don't know if you can curse, but I just did. Um, I, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't mess around with Shakespeare, and I'd never done Shakespeare before. I had read some, obviously, in English class, like Romeo and Juliet and, like, A Little Hamlet, but never, ever um, performed any Shakespeare. And, of course, the story of Macbeth has been told a bajillion times. We've all heard the story, but I've never actually read Macbeth at all. So this is my first real experience with um, Shakespeare. Wow. 
Cool. Manila, what were you, you were going to say something as well? Um, I did like some very, like I was in theater when I was in like high school and I remember doing a, a very abridged version production of As You Like It. So uh, I had a little bit of experience. I wasn't a main character, but um, I've been around. Uh, a lot of my friends were actors in, in school and in college. So I've been around like Shakespeare. So that was my familiarity with it. Okay, cool. How about you, Peppermint? Yeah, I was in, I think in high school, I was in um, a production of Romeo, uh, not Romeo and Juliet, of West Side Story, which was like based on Shakespeare. <laughs> I was never actually in. I'm going to count I was it. never actually it. in a I'm Shakespeare show, a, shake, a, a play written by Shakespeare. This is the okay, first. Okay, so this oh, is your um, first time. Cool. Well, uh, you know. Oh, well, if we're, if we're gonna, gonna, if we say. count that, if we count that, I, I watched Shakespeare in Love once on the cassette. <laughs> so does that count? <laughs> I yeah, no, that counts. Moment. And I thought you were going to say I saw the I saw the Shakespeare in Love trailer. What, Monet? <laughs> I thought you were going to say in high school I was in a production of Romeo and Michelle. I didn't realize. I was a, a Romeo. Oh my gosh, Romeo yeah, and Michelle's high school oh, reunion. Such a good movie. Such a good movie. Post-it notes. <laughs> well, considering that this is, it sounds like for the, it sounds like this is the first time you've actually performed Shakespeare doing this podcast. So, which is already such a strange setting in which to be performing Shakespeare. So, I'm curious mm -hmm. to know what your experience was uh, taking on the role of these iconic characters. You know, the witches are arguably the most most famous beings in the Shakespeare canon, certainly in Macbeth. I'm curious to know what it felt like uh, being in this world, you know, especially with the translation that Magdalia Cruz, who, uh, you know, this is a play on translation of the original Shakespeare text. So it's not entirely in the old English that Shakespeare would have written. I'm curious to know what your experience was doing this type of Shakespeare for the first time. And we can start with uh, you, Monet. Um, it was definitely interesting. I will say the way that Magdalia translated it, it felt a lot more pal palatable for me. Because, you know, you read yeah. Shakespeare in school and the iambic pent pentameter of it all is ridiculous. So the way that <laughs> Magdalia kind of translated it and made it um, her own, honestly, it spoke to me more. And it was easier for me to understand what was being said by the characters. Mm -hmm. Because when I did find out I was doing this, I did do a little research and... I had known of the yeah. witches, and um, obviously we've all heard the double double um, 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 toil and trouble. We've all heard that yeah. at some point in our in, yeah. in, in our in our lives. So I was familiar with it in that way. But I did a little research and um, watching old productions of it, and um, this translation by Magdalia and this interpretation of Shakespeare was uh, of, of Macbeth was definitely, I think, a good one for me to start. It was a good intro into Shakespeare for me. How about you, Manila? Um, I was really excited that we got to play the witches. Um, uh, the thing that I was, I have to say, like, the coolest thing was, is that we're doing this uh, as an audio recording. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that I was worried about was learning lines for a Shakespeare play. But since we're doing it audio, we can have the script right in front of us. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. that certainly helps. That certainly makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. now, what are you talking about? I, I memorized, on Honey, I was off book, honey. I know what you're talking about, girl. Oh, we got a pro. We got a pro here. We got a pro here. Oh, uh, in order to Peppermint, pass that, you got to make sure your video's off on Zoom, 
Monet. (laughs) (laughs) I can see the script in your hands, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Peppermint, you have experience on Broadway, having performed uh, in Head Over Heels, I believe two years ago on Broadway, was it? So um, I'm curious to know what this, you know, taking the sort of theatrical experience and putting it in a radio play version, how did that translate for you? Was that a was that a weird leap to make or did you find it sort of a natural transition? It was unusual. I, w- I don't want to call it weird because it was um, more interesting than weird. Um, but mm-hmm. I in terms of like the Shakespearean approach, I mean, I've, I've never done a play written by Shakespeare, um, but, you know, head over heels was extremely Elizabethan. Um, we yeah. did speak in a iambic pentameter. We used something called blank prose, which is non-rhyming um, version of Shakespearean talk, basically. Huh. And so I, okay. I felt really comfortable with the rhythm of it. Uh, but I think just to kind of answer your last question, if that's okay, the last the Please. thing that I that I learned or that was like the most interesting to me about this production, um, even though it was my first, I was really. I guess a lot of people equate Shakespeare with like something extremely elevated. And it is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say that it's not, but um, it's for that, you know, to that same regard, it really was interesting for me to find out, especially with Medallia telling us, um, letting us know that this is really about sex. And so mm-hmm. like most of the things that we were saying were, <laughs> were, were extremely sexual. And I was like, oh, I was, I had a few pearl clutch moments. Um, but doing a, this is the first like, radio play that I've done as well. Actually, it's the second yeah. one um, that I've done. Uh, and it was very different than, uh, you know, doing a play on Broadway or probably even in a, in community theater. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, this is... I had more time to really focus on, on the voice production, like what I sounded like, as opposed to, like, the costumes and making an entrance or, you know, any, any of that stuff. Yeah, so you really got to focus um, uh, on the text. Uh, unlike Peppermint, yeah. I, this is not my first radio play. I act every week on Sibbing Rivalry like I like Bob the Drag Queen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my, it's, it's my biggest role to date. <laughs> well, you know, that is actually a good segue into what I wanted to ask, which was, you know, many of you uh, have experience doing podcasting, YouTubing, all sorts of work like this. Did you find that that helped you mm-hmm. sort of ease into doing a radio play kind of like what we're doing? Or is it just a completely different medium altogether? Uh, it's very different because um, coming from drag, where we go on stage and a lot of it is visual, um, mm-hmm. we, we come in, these be- we do our makeup very beautifully. We do have like big elaborate costumes and we mouth the words to an existing song. Um, it's very different to kind of use only your voice to convey all of the things that you would want to convey when you are in full dragon on stage. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I have had a little bit of experience doing some voiceover work for animations and cartoons. So it was a lot of fun to get to explore a lot with, um, you know, our, my vocal range and uh, conveying emotion and uh, whatever through that. um, And having my voice kind of tell the audience like what we're wearing where we are like what's going on so it was a challenge but it was a lot of fun great great anyone else um yeah i I, doing like to echo what manila's saying i feel like um the other ways that we 
even though all of us have have podcasts and do audio only things as well but to me in my experience anyway this just felt different and because you're putting on like a full production and you have to imagine what the stage sounds are going to sound like you're gonna, you, you have to you have to imagine all these things because you they're not they're not in uh in the performance of it as we're doing it so you're so a lot of it you're making up in your head what it's going to be and hoping it translates when you right. hear the final product Right. Mm-hmm. I see you nodding, Peppermint. Do you, do you uh, have anything to add? Yeah, I agree. That's, I, I think that was the biggest um, difference is that, you know, all the elements weren't there. Um, yeah. You know, which is, you know, I think we, we, we've certainly been involved in different types of productions, whether they're audio only or even some of the television things that we've done. We're like, they were going to put a lot of post-production in and we would, the full, all the glitz and glam would happen later. Uh, but I do think, you know, not to contradict, but I do think that we were probably much more warm at this than we would have been had we tried to do a radio version of Macbeth two or three years ago, because, Mm. you know, we've been in our houses during the pandemic, um, you know, doing Zooms and doing, you know, so I think, I mean, as rusty as some of us may have been on the tech side, I think it could have been even more crazy um, had we had to do this before the pandemic. But I guess to that regard, we probably would have been sitting in a studio recording somewhere if it had been before the pandemic. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, uh, Peppermint, to add to that, I, I honestly do feel like uh, when we did this production, I was definitely feeling a lot for like those actors and those big blockbuster superhero movies that are acting against green screen. Like we had to use yeah. our imaginations. You know what I mean? Like we had to we definitely had no idea like what the stage was, what this, what was going on. <laughs> what? Is this so? I sir, all this is so. But why stands Macbeth thus amazedly? Come, sisters, cheery up its sprites and show the best of our delights. I'll charm the air to give a sound while you perform your frantic round. Let this great king may kindly say our duties gave him welcome pain. <laughs> we really required um, the help of the production and management of this of this team, like. Um, uh, Eddie was fantastic. Uh, Magdalia was a yeah, great explaining to to everything that was she was trying to convey in the story, and so we were able to use our imaginations, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, we should be. Yeah. It's Eddie Torres who was our director, and Magdalia Cruz who did the translation uh, were incredible to work with during this whole time, and really helped us, you know, sort of visualize and see the world that we were doing, especially given that <laughs> the fact that we couldn't see anything. All we were working with is an and, oral uh, soundscape. And- Miriam was amazing. Miriam Lava, our producer, yes. Miriam Lava, she was so great. She was really was really really grateful for her expertise throughout the entire thing. Absolutely. Yeah, Miriam actually played the queen in the original version of Head Over Heels um, before we went to Broadway, and we weren't together in the show. But um, that's like a very full circle sort of moment for me. Um, Did you get to talk about it with her at all? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh, cool. We got to cool. speak about it and have a little laugh. Um, we're actually <laughs> doing a reunion. I, I wish we could bring Miriam in, but uh, the cast of Head Over Heels is doing a reunion uh, this week. Um, well, did, I guess I don't know when people are going to hear this. Last week, last month, last year, we did. <laughs> um, but I was going to say not to invoke Gwyneth Paltrow twice, 
but I felt Please. very much like Gwyneth Paltrow when um, when she was uh, describing her experience doing the Avengers movies um, because she she so famously is very disconnected from that whole world of like acting on green screen and she was like I don't know what my characters did they told me to raise my hand and something was going to come out of it and I just did it and that's kind of how it felt like I just had to believe that (laughs) you know oh horses are coming oh okay horses you know (laughs) yeah yeah where are they gone let this malignant power stand so accursed in the calendar you without come in What's your grace's will? Saw you the weird sisters? No, my lord. Came they not by you? No, indeed, my lord. <laughs> Infected be the air whereon they ride, and damned all those that trust them. I did hear the galloping of horse. Who was that came by? Tis two or three, my lord, that bring you word. Macduff is fled to England. Fled to England? Aye, my good lord. <gasps> One of the amazing things about drag is that you're so much in control of your persona. You're so much in control of the work that you put out there. And this is a completely different medium in that you are having to trust that these producers and these directors are taking care of everything. Was it hard, you know, especially having built these careers where you are very much in control of your persona and everything that you do, was it hard relinquishing that in a medium like this? Was it a a strange... Mm -mm. No? Okay. No, because we, you know, like, we're so used to relying on us. Like, we are our own, sometimes we're our own makeup artists. We, don't have, we have to style our own hair. We have to, like, come up with our own costumes. We have to go out on st- mm-hmm. empty stages. We and do? Kind of, like, give that, <laughs> give that a fantasy that, you know. You know, like, you know, we, we, go, into a, we go into a nightclub. At, I, at, least, at least me. I go into a nightclub. It's an empty stage. And I come in my outfit. And I with the help of the drunk audience can bring you to the fantasy. <laughs> so it's really nice to have a, an entire group to collaborate with, to bounce ideas mm-hmm. off of, to, uh, to work off of. And it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot more fun to be honest, to like work yeah. in a, a big group and a team and a production like this. So we've all heard the episodes. Yes. Ladies. Is that true? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yes, you, we have. you are playing the witches, these iconic characters. And I think it was actually a really uh, amazing choice to have three drag queens uh, play these roles. Now, you've kind of established yourselves as people who are constantly towing the line of masculine and feminine and, and question, making us question that whole thing. I'm curious to know what your experience as a drag queen or as drag queens, what about that helped you play these parts? the parts of the witches or anything? Did you feel like you just approached it as actors? Did you feel like there was no real sense of the drag world coming into this? I'm just curious to know what your experience was with that. Um, For me, I don't want to diminish the drag world in any way, but I think, especially since after my time on the show and being immersed more in film and TV stuff, I just approached it as an actor and trying to do my best um, interpretation of what, of, 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 of what I think the, the Macbeth witches would do and would say. So I didn't take drag into it at all. Obviously, drag has informed so much of what I do in my career, and I'm very grateful for it. But for this role specifically, I definitely didn't channel drag. I just channeled being a badass 18th century, or whatever century this is, 16th, 17th. <laughs> I think it was before 18th century. Uh, old. <laughs> it's old. It's old. Yeah. <laughs> These old um, ladies with no just, names, just numbers. 
Yeah, eight, eight, eighteen just stuck out of my head because I just had my my birthday yesterday, so I wanted to, you know. Oh, happy birthday! No, not really. Yay! Just kidding. I know. Speaking of old, last week, last month, last year. Uh, for me, for me, I really love this production because of just the diversity in the casting. I think that mm. was like the thing that really like made me really excited. You know, like totally. Macbeth is Puerto Rican. So Lady Macbeth, yeah. you know, like it, there was not like some British old white lady playing Lady Macbeth. I mean, we had yeah. Sabrina playing <laughs> her and she was fantastic. Uh, Sabrina. Was, oh, it's so good. And yeah, she kills everyone. It. She kills it. Everyone in this cast was was um, representing um, a different side of diversity. And so us us bringing our community into the role of the witches, I think, is, is really great. I was excited to be able to bring, like, in my own little world, in my living room here in Harlem, in in Scotland via Harlem, um, <laughs> I was really excited to be able to, like, imagine, like, this Black trans witch in a Shakespearean mm. event. And so, like, I was leaning more towards, like, the trans woman side of things than, like, oh, I'm a drag queen getting to do a witch, you know? And so mm. that's kind of where, where how I approached it. Um, Could you go further with where that? I like to let it live. Yeah, you know, I just, there's, there haven't been that many opportunities to see, like Manila was saying, really just more towards the diversity of the casting. Uh, We haven't had that many, um, I I haven't seen that many um, traditional roles that have been cast by queer Black folks, especially Black trans women. And so it's nice to be able to see, it's nice to be able to kind of live in that space, even if it's just in my head for a few minutes. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> and praise to whom on purple heat when moon is full, we see Macbeth. He carries secrets in his face and pierce his skin and stroke his pains. <gasps> Tis time! Tis time! What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'm curious to know what you thought of the episode so far, you know, and obviously we're going to put it out there that the episodes sound fantastic. We are so proud to be a part of this production. I'm curious to know what your thoughts, having listened to the first episodes before anyone else in the public could have heard them. What are your thoughts on on the work as you hear it back to you now? The recordings, what we've heard so far, I think are fantastic. They're very impressive. Um, I knew they would be great because we were, like uh, Monet was saying, we're dealing with some real pros here. When we were all recording, uh, we felt very well taken care of, and it was a new approach. But I was very pleasantly surprised how it came through. And, you know, I think, obviously, again, the pandemic 
probably led us to this moment of having a, a radio show, but it kind of allows me to imagine what it might have been like in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, when they, they didn't have like Netflix or a DVD or anything. They were listening to their a lot of their theater, if not in live in person, then it was on the radio. And yep. so I, I kind of really like that. I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, that was Any that was thoughts? really kind of a fun thing because, yeah, it was, first of all, we're doing like Shakespeare, which is like the old traditional way of doing plays and then the, you know, the play, radio plays. So, and then to do it on Zoom in current times is really kind of cool to have all these like different historical ways of presenting these kinds of productions. It's really, it's really kind of cool to be part of that. Yeah. Cool. It, yeah. it does feel like we're kind of putting a very 2021 stamp on what this movie right? is, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're using Zoom and Clean Feed to tell these stories. Uh, Monet, I'm curious if you have any thoughts after hearing the episodes today or yesterday. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's beneath I you. Know. No, they sound so good. And again, and um, we worked with uh, Daniel Ben-Shimon, who is... He's like an yes. Emmy award winning uh, engineer and mixer producer. Which so, we could like, see the Emmys on his shelf oh, behind yeah. him. Oh, girl, yes. that, was the, gag. that was the gag. That was the gag. I'm recording. Uh, we're, we're all recording. Manila has the wigs behind her. I have my fucking cat. Uh, uh, I got a window. And Daniel Benjamin has like his Emmys behind him. I was like, I see what you're doing, girl. Got it. And his um, Zoom screen, uh, whenever, he would, whenever he would turn his video off, it was just a picture of an Emmy. And I was like, okay, I was girl, like, I'm here. Good. That's let right. us know. You That's gotta right. let the kids remind know. us. Remind us every you day. Let the kids know. I should. I should. I should have put my little. I'm gonna take my on, on, on my hamper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it sounds amazing. It is so well produced. It sounds beautifully mixed and mastered. People are gonna have a real treat. And, and hearing again, I think I said this before, but hearing the final production and all of the sounds and, and effects that they put into it, it sounds so Absolutely. good. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Open locks, whoever knocks. <laughs> oh no, you secret black and midnight hags. What did you do? A deed without a name. I entreat you to use all you profess. However you come to know it, answer me. Though you untie the winds and let them fight against the churches, Though the foamy waves confound and swallow up all ships that sail, though new corn you crush and trees blow down and castles topple on their keepers' heads, though palaces and pyramids do bend their heads to their foundations, though the treasure of nature's life sources tumble so completely as to sicken destruction, answer me all of what I ask you. Speak. Demand. We'll answer. Say if thou'st rather hear it from our mouths or, or from, from our master. master. And speaking of production, I do want to just credit David Molina, who was our sound designer, who just did an incredible job creating the mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. world of the of Macbeth that we lived in. I mean, it's a very hard thing to do to translate Shakespeare to an oral medium. Obviously, the language lends itself easily, but uh! sort of create. <laughs> yes, yes, but creating that. <laughs> so <laughs> she's giving us life. I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, ladies, speaking of how we are, you know, finding work in this time, I'm curious to know how this year has been for you. How have you been 
thriving or how have you been surviving, uh, especially now that, you know, we have kind of had to move all of our workstations into our homes. We were all very fortunate to get this job, but I'm curious to know how your, it doesn't even necessarily just have to be your drag life. It can be your performance life, your recording life. I know you are all very accomplished recording artists. I'm curious to know, how have you been dealing with the past year? Well, it's definitely been um, a change um, and not a welcome change by any means, but I feel <laughs> right. like uh, for, for us three, we all have a very creative background. We come from a very creative, um, you know, we all do creative things. So coming up with the solutions of how to keep working and how to keep doing what we do um, is was kind of like an easier step, I think, than most people had. Because, you know, like, I'm used to making, you know, something glamorous out of trash. So, you know, give mm. me a microphone in my in my drag closet mm. and we'll do a Shakespearean production. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, through this whole pan pandemic, I just want to say queer people and people of color, which we all are um, here, are just so fucking resilient and just so innovative Great. like resourceful through yes. and resourceful throughout the pandemic i you know when the pandemic first started i remember going on to live and seeing uh, uh queens doing these uh, these performances at home and to see how there's this one queen her name is godoy she lives in la she did a um a la cucaracha number and the number starts off oh my and God, then you so just good. You just see this camera like going around her home, and then um, the camera finally goes under her sink, and she comes out dressed as a cockroach doing La Cucaracha. And it was just like, hey, you probably never can see something like that at a bar. But just to see how queens were really pushing themselves to be extra creative and innovative to to incite people to want to tip them them dollars on Venmo, girl. And um, on top of that, trying to I've been recording an album throughout this entire pandemic, which has been a whole feat in itself so it's just, it's definitely been tough work but i think have you been you know, have you been recording to, from home no well i have a friend that has a home studio my engineer has a home studio where i've been going to his place to do it so it's okay. a lot of hard work but grateful that um that we had opportunities like this and others to be able to still pursue our art fully and still being able to create work for ourselves how about you peppermint mm -hmm. Given the fact that when I first moved to New York, I didn't, I wasn't even sure if I'd be able to pay my bills or rent, mm -hmm. and sometimes I didn't. Um, you know, doing working as a performer, let alone a drag entertainer, which is not like wasn't the most mainstream kind of performer that you could be. I was really, you know, I'm I'm very grateful that I've been able to do that, even before doing TV and things like that. Um, and so, you know, I'm all things considered, um, I've had a a pretty good year because I know it could have been a lot worse. You know, we're talking about the pandemic. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that don't have access to employment and things like that. And then since this is a new audience, I'm going to just be bold and say that, you know, again, as a black trans woman, I'm really grateful that I didn't have to dive into survival sex work, which is a very real thing. Um, it perpetuates, um, you know, instances of violence, which is why there's a very high murder rate among black trans women, uh, which can, if they are involved in survival sex work, sometimes it's in person, not on the internet. They don't have access to a job. They're not paying those, the, you know, they might not be doing an internet show. They might be outside still during the pandemic, which can increase the instances yeah. of a police encounter, you know, things like that. And so there's so many things that I'm grateful that I'm not, that I'm not, that I'm, I'm in a different position than I 
than I could be. Um, and so yeah. I'm really happy with how things have gone. And I think this year's really allowed me to not only try to be a little bit more creative with how we do things, I also recorded an, an album in my apartment during the damn pandemic, um, like Renee. <laughs> Uh, but I also had the opportunity to lean a lot more into my activism. And, you know, I've recently just, um, this is brand new. Again, I don't know when this is going to come out. But um, I just joined forces with the ACLU uh, as their trans ambassador, uh, to ambassador to trans justice. Uh, because there's so Amazing. many bills and things that are creeping across this country that are discriminatory for the LGBTQ community. And so... I think yes. that's one thing that a lot of people have been able to do is kind of turn up the notch on their activism and how they relate to people and seeing all the important conversations that have been happening. And so the space that was created, I'm grateful for. Well, I'd love to hear more about your experience as an activist. The first thing I want to say is I love the sort of amazingness of having gotten to the world of Shakespeare from the worlds that you come from, the nightclub world, the drag world. I just think it's incredible. I'm looking at three drag queens. I'm looking at three incredible human beings who have paved a way and carved a path for themselves in a very unique way. And clearly part and parcel of that is your activist work. And I'm curious to know, you know, what are your sort of personal journeys with regard to your queerness, with regard to working in the drag world and with regard to working in the performance world, how has that activism been able to manifest for you? You know, you talked about, I'm sorry, was it the ACLU that you said you worked with Peppermint? Yeah, the ACLU, and I'd okay. be remiss if I didn't say that I'm on the board of directors for GLAAD as well. <laughs> I can't Girl, Peppermint, Peppermint, Peppermint about to be uh, uh, a secretary of, 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 of activism for the Biden administration tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, they're actually adding, they're actually adding a P to LGBTQIA plus. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I am just curious to know if there are any sort of uh, your your how you feel your your place in the entertainment world has lended itself to activism and, and given you a platform to be an activist. Do you feel like an activist? Because I would argue that you are no matter what, even if you don't feel like one, just by virtue of being who you are. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that, on activism, especially in the Shakespeare world. I feel like for me, it's just being there. Like mm -hmm. as an as a Asian American, um, mm -hmm. I feel like there aren't there there we aren't featuring enough Asian American uh, stars or or even having roles for them. <laughs> um, not even not on TV, and unless you like are playing like some kung fu master, like there isn't really a lot there. So I think just me just being myself and uh, showing, you know, what I can do just as like a regular person is uh, is my form of activism because there are a lot of, like I never really was able to turn on the TV when I was young and growing up and see someone like me on TV doing something mm -hmm. that I would be interested in. Not that I'm not interested in like kung fu or anything because I love the ninja turtles. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I can't. But I, it's like just one of those things of just being able to represent and just being yourself and being like open and honest and let people see you and get used to seeing you. Yeah. If I could just go down, and I promise I will get to you, Monet and Peppermint, with this question. But Manila, I'm curious. You know, recently the Academy Award nominations came out, and uh, Stephen Yun became the first Asian American man to yes. be nominated yes. for Best Yes. Oh, I was going to mention it. Is... Congratulations, Stephen. Congratulations. Oh, my God. I love him so much. 
kudos. Yeah, huge kudos. I remember a few years ago, I was sitting in front of him on a, a flight and I was just, I couldn't help myself, but I was always turning around and like, Hey, I love you on on, uh, Walking Dead. I'm so happy for you. Um, So I was ecstatic to hear that he was nominated. And then I was kind of surprised because I was like, oh, this this hasn't ever happened. And I'm like, it's freaking 2021. And there hasn't ever been a person of Asian descent that's even been considered as like an actor or doing a role that the Academy wants to consider giving an award to. I think it's a big monumental thing that we have this, but I think it's like a a lot too late. And I know that for the Asian community, I know that we're like, it's, we're also having our own struggle right now Mm. um, in this this country. And this country is having a struggle. It's not, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm really, really, I'm really happy for him and I'm really proud of him and um, I'm rooting for him. I mean, I haven't yeah, seen this movie. Those... I, I, don't, I haven't seen it yet. But I'll go, I'll Minari, go check it out. I'm going to watch it tomorrow night. I'll, I'll watch it tomorrow night. It's one of those strange things because, you know, it is a year of many firsts for the Academy Awards. Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim man to be nominated for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that two women have ever been in the Best Director category. Viola Davis is now the most uh, nominated Black woman in Best Actress. And so it is this weird thing where you are kind of trying to... You do want to celebrate these moments because they are momentous. They're huge. But it does... You sort of step back and you're like, well, it's 2021. That's kind of the mindset that I've been in when people ask me what's it like to be a trans woman on broadway like it's great for me but it also shows how few opportunities that are there have been and and again you know again not not to belabor the pandemic but like you know 2020 was an odd year not a lot of big budget you know mainstream mostly white hollywood movies were produced so those so in the absence of that it kind of made way for the other projects that have been created by exactly. people of color, starred by people of color. These are the yeah. ones that aren't usually supported so mainstream. And so since those yeah. weren't there, now we have to look at everything. I'm not saying that they're of less value, but they're, they're not, we all know that they're not rewarded or lauded in the same way. And so now yeah. we're yeah. looking at all these other actors of color, people that have been involved in independent projects that have made their mm-hmm. way up higher because mainstream Hollywood wasn't producing the, the types of big budget whitewashed things that they have been. And maybe Absolutely. this will be their the signal to them that we want to see more diversity. You know, we want mm-hmm. to see more Asian actors and producers mm-hmm. and writers. Look at the success that that's that's come out of in the past couple of years, even prior to the pandemic, you know, with Black yeah. Panther, with 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 Parasite, yeah. you know, just to name a few. Yeah. And so it's yeah. it's 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 so important. And I'm obviously well, and, very worked up about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and Monet, I'm about to jump to you with my activist activism question. I just do want to yeah. go down this a little bit with you, Peppermint, Please. because you know we're speaking. We're, we're to a certain extent, you are all trailblazers. Yes. I mean, th- this is we're sort of talking about how a lot of firsts are happening. And Peppermint, you were the first out trans woman on Broadway in Head Over Heels. So I do want to say kudos to you for that. That is an incredible accomplishment and one that you should be extremely proud of uh and i'm proud to know you and proud to talk to you just just uh for that reason alone 
I am curious what your thoughts are on that with regard to what we were talking about with, you know, how amazing it is that an Asian American man is getting noticed for best actor, but it does feel like it's maybe too little too late. I'm curious, as the first out trans woman on Broadway, what are your feelings on having that title? I mean, do, do you feel a sense of pride? Do you feel a sense of frustration that it took this long? All the above. All of yeah. the above. It's It was on one hand, I mean, it's kind of threefold. On one hand, it's personally a great moment for me. I feel very proud, especially considering that I went also went to acting college. Like, I did not pay money to any other type of college except for an acting college where the professors went down the line and told everybody and then told me that I would never work on Broadway because I'm trans. Wow. But next, you know, like, that was what I heard <laughs> from my professors. They went down the line and told each person well, what they, type of they, career they you were have? basically. I mean, I'm simplifying it. I'm simplifying what happened that day. They were just giving. They gotcha. would give feedback to each of the students, which is their job. And my feedback was, "You'll never work on Broadway because of who you are." Basically, wow. you know. Um, and that was, and that wasn't all the professors. That I, that wasn't my entire. It's not like I would walk down the hall and be like, "You'll never work." It wasn't that. Yeah. It was. It yeah. was just there was a couple of key moments that were, could have been inspiring in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, do, I dove into the world of drag, you know, and this was more than 20 years ago. Um, but, you know, so it did feel very full circle for me, but on the other hand, going out to the stage door, seeing all these young queer people, and the role that I played was a non-binary character, which, you know, maybe, who knows, I, I don't identify as non-binary, so, you know, maybe someone else who was non-binary could have breathed, uh, certainly would have breathed a different type of life into the role. But, uh, seeing all these young folks who are uh, who were outside at the stage door, talking about how the role resonated with them, talking about how inspiring it was to see a black trans person doing an, anything on Broadway, it was great, and it showed that it resonated with the community. And then on the other side, going back to the other question you mentioned, how art can connect art as activism. It can connect. There's a beautiful painting that I saw. It's a door frame, and there's a crate of milk propping open the door frame and it's beautiful and when you ask questions about that it's actually the artist was inspired by harvey milk's legacy mm. and how mm. he opened that door and we can all start to walk through it and that's yeah. that right there's an example of how art can influence thought and and expose people to something that they were not even aware of um oh, and so you know i uh i think that having us in this production having um, you know, the, quote, non-traditional casting, more diverse and inclusive casting um, in projects, um, having more Asian folks lead and helm projects, uh, mm -hmm. having more queer folks in them. This is something that's going to enrich everyone's life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This Monet, someone had what... a very beautiful painting, so I'm going to assume that it was a Monet. Yes. <laughs> well, but isn't that when you isn't that when you when you get up close it's a little different when, you know? when, it's, it's, when you're far when you're far away it looks amazing but when you get up close it's a it's a hot mess. Uh, and honestly, girl, truer <laughs> words, truer words. Well, but I do I do want to this is a great segue. I want to jump to you, you know, sort of with my question before with the activism. One thing that I as speaking of trailblazers, you know, you are you were one of the queens who was the inspiration for Marvel's first drag queen superhero, Shade. Oh. Uh, I'm curious to know how, you know, that that in and of itself is a major momentous thing. I'm curious to know how that plays into your activism, how it feels being a trailblazer on, on that front as well. 
Well, you know, I'm just in the world. I'm 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 a big superhero fan and Marvel and DC and the multiverse and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, um, you know, a big topic of conversation right now is a lot of people get so upset when because they feel that these directors and these screenwriters they're making all these characters gay or they're making all these characters queer mm. or they're making too many mm. characters black or too many latino like all that stuff and i just want to say first of all the people who wrote these a lot of these comic book writers they had these characters as these things in, in the past it's just that they have been like a lot of things. Society in the yes. world have been very whitewashed, and they and they re, and they remove <laughs> this identity from a lot of these characters. So now we're actually reverting to what the original intent and intention of these characters were. Like you, you look at superhero characters. There were so many of them who were literally fighting Nazis or were fighting um, oppression mm. and systemic racism yeah. in the comics. Mm. So the fact yeah. that we are um, unwhitewashing them and um and, and 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 doing what these writers really wanted for them i think is great and i'm happy that it yeah. is happening but um to be the inspiration of a superhero i mean that is to me that is one of the highest honors i i feel like i'll ever receive in my entire career and yeah. um the whole story about dark veil aka shade and um their whole uh story i think is so beautiful and um the fact that some artists sat at home and maybe watched drag race or watched something and saw myself and shay and uh and the vixen um in this character in, in, in order to develop them to um to uh to to evoke our likeness and our tenacity i think is beautiful and i'm very honored amazing Amazing. Uh, I do have a question for all three of you with regard to, you know, we were talking about being a person of color in the entertainment industry, which is obviously a huge, huge topic. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know what your experiences in the drag world have been as people of color. Would you say that, you know, I think there's probably an assumption, rightly or wrongly, that the drag world is probably more accepting, that the drag world is is in and of itself kind of like a trailblazing culture that is breaking all sorts of molds and breaking all sorts of forms. I'm curious to know your experience as people of color in that world. Coming from the sort of classical and traditional theater world myself, I can tell you it's a very racist world. I mean, it, you're dealing with all sorts of barriers. You're dealing with all sorts of restrictions. And I would imagine, I know that there are experiences that you all have. I'm curious to know what your experiences might have been with racism, with bigotry, or, or with any sort of uh, prejudices that you face in the drag world? I feel like it definitely has its problems and, and could be better. But yes, definitely it is a, a safer space to express yourself, to learn about yourself, to learn about other people, to not really, um, you know, because, you know, we're transforming from, you know, like what from regular person on the street in in almost like a way like a superhero would do um yeah uh, i feel like people are able to accept it a lot better um and you know there is like a a, a bigger sense of community um not to say that it, it can't be better but um i definitely felt a lot safer and able to be myself and express myself in the drag community for sure amazing any other thoughts I do remember experiencing some of that tokenism, I'll say, in the, in the world of drag, especially in nightlife. There'd be mostly all white queens and, you know, they would hire one or two queens of color. Like, whatever they were going to get, it would be one of. Like, one Asian queen, one black queen, one Latinx queen, you know, maybe one. I, I know one queen of right. Indian descent. Yeah. 
one that they would bring in and, and 15 other white queens. And that's kind of how the show... And then as the black girl, like, you had to do the rap song. Mm. You know, like, there's no... <laughs> yeah. You're not doing a rock and roll song. You know? Mm-hmm. We want to see what you're... St- we want you to re- you know, breathe life into the stereotype that we're fetishizing. And so that's kind of has, had been my experience. And it was, you know, I was um, surprised to see, like, how connected the world of um, gender expansive people and drag are that, you know, there was a very good friend of mine who we all know very well, who worked as a one of the first viral uh, drag entertainers uh, with videos and things coming out and was really um, successful and making her way up in the world of drag in New York City. And then when she uh, came out as trans, she basically lost all of her jobs. Wow. And so that was, wow. you know, that was a message <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, and I'd be remiss if we didn't mention you were speaking about the legacy and, and connection to art and everything. Your fabulous performance in The Inheritance, which oh, um, thank you. I, <laughs> I went and saw and was so moved, like beyond words. Uh, There's nothing even more to say. The fact so that thank you for that. Any of you has anything possibly nice to say about me whatsoever is going to get me through the rest of this <laughs> pandemic. So I just want I just want to express my love to you for saying that. Thank you. I have nothing. So I have I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Monet, please tell me you love me. Tell me I'm amazing. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, your thoughts, Monet. As far as you know, uh, in the in the short time that we have left, I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are as a Black queen in this in this world. What you've experienced. I, mean, I think Peppermint has uh, and Manila have covered it both uh, perfectly. It's just the tokenism of the of the of the queens of color to do something. I've been a part of um, big cast drag shows where the Asian queens they're doing the theme is around the world, and the Asian yeah. queens is is expected to do some like some really hyper. Uh, Asian kimono, style yeah, kimono. <laughs> yeah. Like we've we've all been a part of those shows, and um, as it relates to Drag Race, I, and I've talked about this before. I think the reason why a lot of the kids watching may feel such disconnection with the Black queens and the queens of color and um, trans folk is because a lot of the kids who watch Drag Race, they're young um, or or uh, or twenties, thirties, um, white white people. So I think yeah. that they probably don't have many friends of color. They don't have many friends who identify as trans. So they just, they don't see themselves in those people on TV. So it's hard for them to make a real connection. So I think that it begins with those people doing the work at home to make friends that don't look like them. If they are hanging out with their friends at the mall, Mm -hmm. if all y'all are white as hell with blonde hair and um, shopping at Anthropology together, and and you know like maybe <laughs> maybe they got maybe, some stuff in the I know. <laughs> maybe it, maybe it might take maybe it might be a chance to to talk to your trans friend who's at who uh, to, to talk to your trans person who is sitting alone in, in the cafeteria or to make yeah. friends with an Asian person or a black you know maybe it might maybe yeah. might right now might be the time to do that. Yeah. And I also just feel like one of the one of the great gifts of what we are able to do with this Shakespeare podcast, what we're what we're able to see is actually not see is that by removing (laughs) the visuals of this, there aren't any needs for tokenism. There is no need for sort of like uh, uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say there is no need for racial representation because obviously there is. But one of the beautiful things about doing a radio play is that it kind of is this great equalizer where it's actually just about the vocal performance that you're giving. And it's not necessarily about being tokenized or not necessarily about 
playing any sort of, uh, you know, uh, thing that's expected of you racially or otherwise. So um, Mm -hmm. before we go, ladies, I just want to say thank you so much for what has been a a really wonderful and edifying interview. Uh, Is there is there any final thoughts that you have to say about the podcast or anything that you'd like to plug here? You know, uh, we're all hustling and we're all doing the game. Any final things that you'd like to say before we go? Yeah, I have two other podcasts. I have Sibling Rivalry with Bob the Drag Queen, where we discuss lots of queer stuff. Uh, we recently did a topic about transracialism, which was very interesting, about wokeness, wow. about gay shit. And I have a podcast with Lady Bunny as well called Ebony and Irony. It's honestly a big take on young versus old. Bunny is obviously from the old school. She's in her early hundreds, I believe. And I am in my early 30s. <laughs> so it's like us two discussing You're being too kind. things. And, and, <laughs> and how like these two different generations of queer folk like see the same same thing it's actually really interesting so yeah if you want to tune into those yeah thank you for that uh peppermint anything you'd like to say yeah i'm i love doing this podcast it was fabulous and um i'm really excited for people to hear i want to hear what people think about the episodes once they're able to to get their um hands on them. yeah and yeah. uh i'm i'm yeah i'm i also have a a it's, I don't know what it is, a show, a podcast? I don't know what it is, because we do release it as a podcast <laughs> as well, um, called Pep Talks, which uh, yes. Monet and Manila have both been guests on. It's Right now, we're doing something called Black Movie Classics, which basically uh, we're trying to introduce these fabulous Black films that, that you may not have ever seen, right? And so um, that's what we are talking about. It comes on every Tuesday. It's on my Twitch, and um, people can hit my socials if they want to see more. It's Peppermint247 everywhere. Awesome. Twenty four cents. Yes, I love yes. it. We're we're all we all transition to podcasting. Um, I have a podcast <laughs> yeah. called the Freeze Royale. Uh, Amazing, Latrilla, Latrilla. Yes, yes. And uh, that is actually so much fun because yeah. we literally just uh, well we we kiki about Drag Race UK and all the all the. Uh, foreign franchises of RuPaul's Drag Race but we also just kind of kiki with each other and just check up in on it and just let the listeners kind of uh, fly on the wall for, uh, during our little kiki sessions but yeah this this uh, production was uh, an honor to be part of uh, everyone was working so hard I really loved the camaraderie we all had as a company it was really cool to kind of really all of us kind of find our way uh, during this uh, this new this new world of of creating a production like this, I mean, it was yeah. all very new to everyone, and I think that uh, we're all very proud of what the final product is. And um, I am so excited for everyone to listen to it. Um, and uh, it's one of the like one of the big proud things. Like like Peppermint was saying before, it's like you think Shakespeare is like this really like high level of of acting, you know, like I. I'm waiting now to be knighted and be called Lady Manila Luzon. You know? Yeah, look, lady. Dame Luzon. Yes. Dame, Dame, Dame Luzon. Um, I right now it's just really damn. Damn Luzon. Damn Luzon. Damn, girl. Well, amazing. So it was uh, really great. And I and I love working with these sweets too because we had a lot of fun like being 
sexy witches. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I just want to plug my own little podcast because like you said, we all got a hustle yes. this year. I have a podcast mm -hmm. called Queer and On with Mr. Sister. Politics, society, comedy, poking fun at a lot of things and talking about all sorts of queer issues. My sincere hope is that one of you will come on and talk with me about all the things happening in your lives. I would love that. Thank you so much for joining us. I do want to encourage you to find the podcast, which is produced by Next Chapter. It will be Macbeth. Listen, rate, and review us. And please follow all of these amazing queens on their different social media platforms. They are incredible. They have so much more to say than what we could cover in this hour. And I am so happy that we got to chat for the short time that we had. So thank you so much, ladies, for joining us. Woohoo! Thank you. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Okay. The Witches Brew Podcast is produced by Next Chapter Podcasts. Executive producer, Michael Goodfriend. Audio engineer, Tommy Freed. I'm Jordan Barbour. Thanks for listening. Next Chapter Podcasts is proud to present the Play On Podcast Series, Macbeth. Art thou but... A dagger of the mind. Here's Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Performed by award-winning actors in a production that breathes new life into a timeless tale. Men are weak. New episodes premiere every Friday starting April 9th. Subscribe, rate, and review Play On Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go to playonpodcasts.com to learn more. Put on your headphones and don't forget to wash your hands. Leave all the rest to me. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Next Chapter Podcasts.